Good morning and welcome out to our Sunday school service this morning at Mountaineer Missionary Baptist Church. Hope the little lesson that um, Festus and Flash taught you this morning was sure was a blessing to you. We're going to get into our lesson here in just a moment from the book of Exodus, but let's go over some announcements real quick before we get into the lesson this morning. Uh, we'll be here tonight at the church at 7 for evening worship. We're going to be preaching out of the book of Galatians on the true gospel, so we encourage you to come out. Uh, may remember when we're in the sanctuary, we're in the building. Uh, face masks are required at all times. Um, so come out, bring your mask. If you don't have a mask, we have masks by both our entrances that you are, or you're welcome to. Uh, but we'll come out and enjoy a good time in God's Word this evening. Um, I'll be doing some special singing as well. So uh, just come out and enjoy a time in God's Word. Uh, we did have to cancel the flu clinic yesterday due to illness uh, from our pharmacist. But hopefully we'll get that rescheduled here in a couple weeks. And uh, we'll let everybody know when that comes to be. Next Wednesday, we'll be back online for evening worship. And then Sunday morning, we'll be back online as well. Uh, which brings us back to God's house next Sunday night at 7, good Lord willing. Um, with all that being said, let's uh, bow our heads for a word of prayer. Most kind, gracious, Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come together, Lord, over social media and share your word. We pray, Lord, for safety for our churches and our people, Lord. We pray, Lord, for our schools, all the staff, personnel, students, Lord, as they travel back into these schools. Lord, we pray a hedge of protection around them, Lord. Please, Lord, watch over them. Please, Lord, give them safety. Please, Lord, protect them from this horrible virus, Lord, that's plaguing our land. We pray, Lord, for the sick in our community, Lord, that your healing touch would be upon them. We pray, Lord, for these schools that are having outbreaks, Lord, that you would heal them, Lord, that you would uh, that you would give them safety, Lord. Watch over them, Lord. Protect those, Lord, that are, that are around these folks. We pray for our medical personnel, Lord, that you would give them a cure, give them a vaccine or something to end this, this horrible season that we're going through. And we pray, Lord, that you would receive all the honor and all the glory for it. Lord, we pray, Lord, for your help and, and teaching your word this morning, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you give us the words and thoughts to say and give us a feeling of your spirit, Lord, an anointing from you. That only through it, Lord, we may be able to do thy will. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. All right, we're going to be in the book of Exodus 18 this morning. Exodus 18, starting in verse 13 this morning. And we are looking at some of more lessons about Moses. And the, the message this morning is titled, God Provides Judges to Help Moses. God Provides Judges to Help Moses. Let's go ahead and read through God's Word this morning. Exodus 18.13 says, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw that he all this, saw that all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto even? And Moses said unto his father-in-law, Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, that they come unto me. And I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away, both thou and his people that is with thee, for this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice, I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to God were, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. 
And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, they shall provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, and rulers of hundreds, and rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons. Let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. If thou shalt do this thing, God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure. And all these people shall go into their place in peace. So Moses hearkened to the voice of the father-in-law and did all that he said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons. The hard causes they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. And Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way into his own land. Now as we look at the scripture this morning and the scripture text, and what Moses and Jethro is going through here. Remember, Moses was a leader. He'd already been through a whole lot in his ministry. Um, he was raised as son of a Pharaoh, and he found out he was really a Hebrew, and he took his people, and we're really summarizing a lot of verses here, but he took and led his people out of Egypt after going against the Pharaoh with the plagues and all these things. And once he leads him out of Egypt and overdones the Pharaoh and, and he makes out, he gets into the wilderness and all these troubles befall the Hebrews. They blame Moses and they start wanting to rebel against him and rebel against God. And, and he tries to keep the people together, tries to keep them healthy, tries to take care of them, all these things. They really don't like what he's doing. So Moses is really struggled his entire ministry. And here he is in a season of his life and his father-in-law, Jethro, is there. And as his father-in-law was there and as they are talking, um, he notices that Moses is doing a lot. Now, here's the thing. Moses is not doing anything bad. Moses is not doing anything wrong. In fact, Moses is doing his best to serve God as faithfully as a man can. There's a problem. Moses is doing everything. Now, there's several lessons I, I want to bring out of the text this morning that, that I hope we can see here. First thing I want you to notice is that numbers is not always a sign of success. You know, in, in westernized uh, world, we equate numbers to success. If you're at a ball game and the ball game is packed, you say, man, this team is really, really, really pleasing the fans. Or if you're at a, uh, a political rally and people everywhere, you say, man, this guy is really loved. He's really going to win the election. Or if someone throws a party or something and a lot of people show, you say, man, this party was a real success. But in the church world, in reality, numbers do not equal success. There have been several churches with thousands and thousands of people in them. And if you ask the pastor, they may tell you that church is actually dying. Now you may say, well, that's not possible. There's thousands of people showing up. But if thousands of people show up and they're not spiritually healthy people, the church gathering is doing them very little good. You see, I've been to churches before and... and and as the role of an evangelist or a help of some kind, and you speak to the pastor, and you say, wow, there's, there's hundreds of people here. And they say, yes, but I can't get any of them motivated to do anything. 
Well, that's not a healthy church. That's not a successful church. A successful leader does not do all the work. A successful leader, a successful pastor, a successful spiritual leader, an elder, is one that can motivate and move others to step up into their calling of ministry. You see, <coughs> in the world in which we live, we got to get past this idea of numbers, numbers, numbers. And most Baptist churches are very guilty of this, that, that we love to post the numbers on the board of attendance and offering and this and that. And different churches keep track of different things on their, on their board uh, behind the pulpit. But that's probably the worst thing we can do because we are equating success to numbers when we do that. It may not be intentional, but the people that see the numbers, they feel that way 90% of the time. They'll say, well, we got less this week than we did last week. Or, well, look, we got 100 this week only had 50 the week before. And they, they think that really means something. Notice Jesus always drew a crowd when he was preaching. But notice how many really followed Jesus. Just because a crowd showed up didn't mean they were faithful and they were doing what they were supposed to do. If we wanted to, it would be very easy to pack thousands of people into any building. It's not hard to do that. You schedule a popular enough speaker and you schedule a popular enough musical group. You can pack a building. Does not mean it's the least bit productive. You see... We have to realize, we have to judge things, spiritual health, based on the biblical qualifications, not man-made qualifications. And the general consensus is that a person that is spiritual healthy is producing healthy fruits of the Spirit. And if they are doing that as a group, the group is doing well. So first thing is don't equate success with numbers. Numbers really is, doesn't mean anything spiritually. may mean some things in the world, but don't mean much to God. God judges us based on obedience, not on the attendance that we can create. The second thing I want you to see here is that sometimes we need to take counsel from elders. And the Bible bears this out, that young women... Uh, should listen to the older women of the church. The older women should raise young women up and to be in godly women. And older men should raise young men up to be godly men. And they should teach them how to uh, operate in their households, operate in God's house, operate in, in the church. Um, that is the, that's the job that we have. And just as older men took me, it's my job to take the younger men that comes behind me. Um, notice I, I never mentioned anything about an older man uh, discipling a young female because it, it doesn't work that way. It's not really appropriate. Uh, it, it, God has laid it out in the correct context there. We need to keep it in that context that the older men work with the young men, the older women work with the young women. That's appropriate, that's godly, that's the biblical way of doing things, whether the world likes it or not. But also notice, as Jethro speaks to Moses, he says in one place there, even though he's already given him this advice, but he tells him to do it as God directs him. And I'm paraphrasing. That's okay. He says in verse 23, If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so. 
So he's telling me, even though I think this is good advice, you need to go to God first and see what God has to say. In my years of ministry, and especially in my years of pastoring, people love to give pastors advice on how to pastor churches. It's, it's wonderful. Um, as soon as you start pastoring, people come out of the woodworks telling you the ways you should do things, the ways you shouldn't do things, even though they may have never been to your church before. And it's all, they all do it all with good intentions. But what I learned very quickly is you really have to be selective to your advice. And this is true not just for pastoring, but with any avenue of your life. People are going to come along when you graduate and tell you what you need to do about flowers, going to college, going to work. Uh, when you get married, first thing people like to start talking about is when you're going to have kids. When you start dating, as you get older, people will say, when is the wedding? They're always trying to push you down the path that they think you should go. But that doesn't mean that's your path. Now, I have learned with elders, you listen to everything they say, and then you take it like a piece of steak. You eat the meat, you spit out the bone. And that's not to be insulting to anyone. That is to say, when once they tell you everything and you listen with respect and reverence, you get alone in your prayer closet with God and say, Lord, what do you think I should do? And let the Lord decipher that knowledge for you. Because what worked for that brother or that sister may not be God's plan for you. God has a calling for all of us. God has a plan for all of us. But that doesn't mean that anyone knows your plan but you and God. See, that's the thing. I, you know, I may be your pastor or so-and-so down the road may be your pastor, but they don't know your calling. They don't know what's the, what leading the Spirit has placed upon you. God has selected them to be overseers. That way when you come to them or come to me and say, Pastor, I feel the Lord is leading me to do this, this, and this. We can give you what the Bible says about what you are telling us. But we can't tell you what the Holy Spirit wants from you. We don't have that kind of access. But we can take you into God's Word and tell you what God's Word says about it. Whether you are truly qualified for what you are trying to get into or what the consequences may be of the path you're trying to go down. That is our position in all this. But you have to in yourself seek God. Moses had listened to his father-in-law and took God out of the equation. God would not have blessed this transition that Moses was trying to perform. We're guilty of that sometimes in church leaderships. We try to transition things and take God out of the equation because it's an organizational thing. And when we do, we see it fall flat on its face. Because you see, there is no church that belongs to a pastor. And I got news for you. There's actually no church that belongs to a congregation. A church belongs to God. It's God's church. It's God's everything. It's God's bank account at the church. It's God's uh, Sunday school program at the church. It's God's youth program at the church. It's God's worship program at the church. It all belongs to God because that is who is designed to glorify is God. So the chief shepherd of the church is God. And it's our job not to just follow man, but to follow God. There has been some really good ministry programs that went on over the decades that great men of God led. There was nothing biblically wrong with them. And I've had many people bring them up from time to time and say, well, you know, you ought to really do this because brother so-and-so back in the 
80s or the 70s or the 60s out in California or out in, in Alabama done that, and it was huge success. And I say, okay, I have to pray about it. Because it doesn't mean God is in it for me or for the church or for whatever. You have to seek God in all these things that you do. And we don't just seek God in ministry. That is a crucial thing. We just seek God in everything. Seek God in our job. We are to seek God in our homes. We are to seek God when we make decisions. Seek God with our children. Seek God with our families. We ought to seek God in all times, all places, and all seasons of our life. Because God is sovereign. God is omnipotent and God is omniscient. Which means God is in all places. God is in all times. And God knows what's best. Why do we try to outthink Him? We can't. He's so much wiser than we are. His ways are so much greater than our ways. We need to really let God work in our situation sometimes. The third thing I want you to notice is Jethro is really warning Moses to not be weary in well-doing. I don't know if you realize this or not, but the average lifespan of a pastoral ministry today in America is three to four years. And I don't know how long I've been here. I think I broke that. I'm pretty sure I'm past that now. Could be wrong, but I think I am. Uh, but I, I quit counting. Um, but that's really sad because technically you really don't start making an impact. This is this is what studies say. This isn't thus say as Pastor Justin. This is what the people who study these things have said, is that you really don't start making a pastoral impact till about year four. That's when you really start having people look to you as pastor. Until that point, you're for the new guy on the job. But at year four, you know you've done some funerals, you've done some weddings, you've done some baptisms. People are starting to look more to you as the guy. But people aren't even getting there in today's age. And there's a lot of reasons why, but a lot of pastors are becoming weary and well-doing. I don't know if you realize this or not, and this is truly disheartening. But in America today, pastoral ministry, pastors, have a very high rate of suicide and depression. And to me, that is so tragic because it's such, the the Bible talks about seeking out a, a good job. And it is such a blessing to get to pastor. The burden is great, but the blessing is great as well. But people are becoming so overran and running themselves so short, they flat out give up. Or, or they get themselves ensnared in some sort of uh, situation. Or they just they give up altogether. And that's heartbreaking. Because God, that's not part of God's plan. But what people are doing today is they start, they, they, they've labeled pastors and spiritual leaders as, as superheroes of the faith when they're really just men trying to be obedient. And in reality, they put a lot of expectations on them that shouldn't be there. If we look at the book of Acts, when you see the apostles, they had two primary jobs as pastors, elders. That's what elders are. They're pastors. In fact, the word pastor is not used at often in the Bible. The word elder is used more frequently. So if we really want to use a biblical word for pastor, it's elder. But that's neither here nor there. But technically, the book of Acts shows us that their job is to pray Take care of the ministry of the word. That's the job. 
In fact, when they tell Timothy, they tell him, preach the word. Preach the word, Timothy. It's not to uh, do all these other things that pastors feel like they have to do. And I don't really think churches even tell them they have to do these things all the time. I think a lot of times we put these burdens on ourselves. Although I'm sure there are people who put burdens on them as well. Um, it, it, but there's so many things outside of that praying and preaching the word, ministering the word, that really falls into the congregation's position. Now, think about that. That gives the congregation a lot of different fields to step into. When someone's sick, a minister doesn't have to go. And I'm not just talking pastor. They may just be a, a minister in the church. A minister doesn't have to be the one that goes. In fact, in my opinion, the most appropriate biblical thing is if it's a female, for a female to go. If it's a man, for a man to go. And to pray with them, if they so desire that. When, um, when a, a, a family loses a loved one. Now, I think there's a pastoral role there. But I think if the only person that calls and consoles that family is the pastor, that's very sad. The congregation should be reaching out and loving on that person that has experienced his heartache. When it comes to, I mean, again, other facilities as far as hospitality and, and, and bringing food to family that may need it or, or, or whatever kind of ministry like that. It does not have to be an elder or an overseer or a pastor or a minister. Those are roles the congregation can and should fulfill in every outlet. Churches where the pastor tries to do all those things are where we see burnout. Just like Moses, where we see people fall by the wayside. Um when I first got into pastoral ministry, one of the things that I said was I was going to be very careful of my time. Because I realized as a young man with two kids and a wife, at the time one kid and a wife, eventually two kids and a wife, and uh, another job on top of my pastoral job, I realized I had to schedule myself or I was going to be like Moses and wear myself thin. So what did I do? There's certain things I had to say no to. Just like I don't travel and preach a whole lot anymore. I occasionally get a call, hey, can't, would you come preach first? And there's a lot of times I have to say, I, I'm so honored that you asked me, but I, I can't do that right now because I need to dedicate myself to what God's called me to do and pastor in the Mountaineer Missionary Baptist Church. Um, I also had to take my time for my family. I believe that every individual, it should be God first, family second, church third. Because if you get those out of order, you just threw your whole spiritual life off. Because if I can't pastor my household first, I have got no business pastoring the church third. Because what I have done is I have just disqualified myself from ministry by not being the spiritual head of my household. you got to think about those things. And that's, again, that's not true just for pastors. I keep saying that because I guess I'm applying it to myself. But that's true for everyone. In the same way, if you are serving in the church and if you are doing things, don't wear yourself out. God said he created the Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath, which means he created that we should have a day of rest. Now there's where I'm guilty. I guess this is a confession because 
Uh, it's Saturday right now, technically not Sunday, and I'm at the church and I'm working. Um, however, I have spent most of the day with the family traveling. We went and picked up groceries curbside because you all know I'm not going in stores yet. Um, but we picked up some groceries curbside and went through a drive-thru and, uh, and got some fast food and, and headed back toward the house. And we sit around and watch movies and, and get ready to go play out in the yard. But, but we, we, we try to take a day of Sabbath. God wants man to rest because it's so beautiful too because you think about it. When man takes that day of rest... Guess what's going on in the spiritual world? God is still working. Even when you're not doing anything, it's okay. God still is. He's still busy. He's still on the throne. He's still ruling and reigning. He's still taking care of business. And he's saying, hey, take your day off. I got this. Listen, we, 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 that should drive you to worship right there. Moses was trying to do it all. Do not try to do it all in your ministry. Do not be weary in well-doing. Let God show up. Allow the people around you to lift you up, to take on. Listen, it's so awesome. I think I said the same thing last week, but this is true. The most awesome thing for a pastor is when you get ready to do something and you found out your church has already done it. And I, I, I get to experience that often, which I, I am very proud of my church for that. That there's so many times I say, well, I need to do this. And all of a sudden I'm like, well, it's done, been done. I don't have to worry about it. Sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so done did it. It shows people that are really working for the Lord. And we ought to praise God that we have people like that in our churches. The next thing that we need to see here. is that when we look at Moses and look at what all Moses had went through, he didn't just turn people loose. He educated them on the ways of God before they stepped out into their roles. Let me tell you something. The Bible warns about taking uh, novices or new people in the faith and just sort of throwing them out there. It's dangerous to do. Jethro tells Moses, you need to educate them in the ways of God. Talk about the ordinances and how to walk in the ways of God. Educate them and then allow them to judge. It's the same thing in our church body. The Bible talks about how you cannot preach until you've been preached or you cannot teach until you've been taught to. And that's got nothing to do with age. If you're 80 years old and you're a brand new Christian, you've got no business being a pastor. Until you reach some spiritual maturity. Because the Bible says that we all start as babes in Christ. But as we receive the word, and this is not just from the preaching of the pulpit, but as you go home and you open this book and you study through it and see what God would have you to do and not to do, it brings you to a place of spiritual maturity because you start changing the things you do and don't do and start realizing what God's way looks like. Because it's very contrary to what the world's way looks like. We need to make sure that we are raising our people up to be spiritually mature Christians that they can serve God in the way that God desires them to do so. The Great Commission was not just for the pastors and the overseers and the deacons, but the Great Commission was for all people to go out and create disciples. It's everyone's job to proclaim 
the word. Yes, certain people have certain elected roles. Pastors are the overseers of the church. Every aspect of the church they are to oversee. They oversee the music. They oversee the setup. They oversee everything. It's a huge responsibility. It doesn't mean, hey, we're all powerful. It means, hey, we got a huge burden to make sure it's done in godly, biblical ways. For the deacons, their position is to take care of the people. That's why they appointed them in the book of Acts, was to take care of the widows. That way the elders could concentrate on the ministry of the word and prayer. And you can go through the different elected offices in the church that man's created that really aren't necessarily biblical roles, but they're man-made roles, organizational purposes. They have positions and certain things they are to do. But it is everyone's job to go out and create disciples. But you can't do that until you heard the word and have become mature in the word. If you don't know what the gospel is, you can't share it with people. Just because you're, and I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of people saved that really don't understand how to share the gospel correctly. I've heard it done wrong more than I've heard it done right. But you know what? If you've never been born again, they can't do any of that. I've met people who have never been saved that want to teach in church. And I, I can't help but say that's the most dangerous thing I can allow anyone to do. Because you have never been led by the Holy Spirit. You can't have a filling of the Spirit because you don't possess the Spirit because you've never been born again. And until you become born again, the Spirit of God can't move you. When I study through God's Word and I look at it, there are certain things the Spirit of God moves me in. I'll look at it and, and I'll try to understand it, and it takes the Spirit to reveal the fullness of the Word to me. It's not just me, that's for everybody, not just pastors, but, but every Christian. Until you're saved, you don't have that. Until you're saved, you're not at a point. I mean, how can one who is dead be active? And until you're saved, you are spiritually dead. But here's the thing. I don't say that to insult you. I say that to encourage you in the fact that you don't have to remain spiritually dead. You see, the beauty of this whole thing is, is John 3, 16, For whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. In other words, anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ, regardless if, regardless what your race is, regardless what your income level is, regardless of what family you come from or what your religious background is, regardless of what sins you've committed, God is still willing to save you and forgive you of all sins if you place your faith in Jesus Christ and become born again. It's a decision you have to make. Because Jesus already died on the cross. He rose from the grave and ascended to heaven and is today seated at the right hand of the Father, alive and well, pleading our case to Father God. But you have to make the decision because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit revealing to you that you're lost to call on God in faith and ask Him to save you. I cannot force you to do that. And I could beg and plead all day and it wouldn't, make, it wouldn't matter. 
Because if the Holy Spirit doesn't move you to do that, without me pleading, you're probably not going to do it anyways. Or you're going to do it and not mean it anyways. It's not something that you can fake. It's not like if I force you to repeat these words, you're going to be forgiven. No, it's not about the words. It's about the faith, the saving faith in Jesus Christ that you are condemned in your sin and you are doomed to spend eternity in hell unless you place your faith entirely in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Are you willing to do that this morning? Are you willing to take that step and call on God in faith, asking Him to save you? Romans 10, 13, For all those called in the Lord shall be saved. Ephesians 2 says, We are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. In other words, you've done nothing to deserve it. You deserve hell. I deserve hell. We've all sinned. We've all fell short of the glory of God, the Bible says. But, but, Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For us. As we close out in prayer this morning, right where you are, I want you to examine yourself. Are you in Christ? Are you saved? Or is there a doubt in your mind? If there is, you shouldn't continue that way. Another moment's not promised. Death and eternity is certain. The option is up to you where you spend it, heaven or hell. There is no in-between. Make the decision this morning and place your faith in Jesus Christ and ask God to save you as we pray. Most kind, gracious, heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to present the word this morning. Lord, we pray, Lord, the Holy Spirit uses our feeble attempts in a mighty way and that would uh, touch the hearts of those, Lord, that hear it and it would convict them, Lord, in a powerful and mighty way that they may place their faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, and be born again. Lord, we thank you for giving your Son to die for us, to take our place in judgment, Lord, that we may be forgiven and, and inherit eternal life through him. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would move on these people's behalf and that you would save them, Lord, as we know only you can. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your watch, care, and protection, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We pray that the... Uh, lesson was a blessing to you. Don't forget tonight at 7 we'll be in, at the church for evening worship um, with social distancing and masks. I'll be doing special singing so we encourage you uh, if you're able and feel safe to come out and be with us. If not, the message will be online Monday at some point and you can get online and check it out. So we hope you have a wonderful day. God bless you. We'll see you soon.